Well, we are going to continue on with our series we've been doing called By Popular Demand. And um, you've been with us for the last couple of weeks. You know that that might not mean what you think it might mean, that um, I'm not the uh, church DJ who you call up and say, hey, it's, it's all, all request weekend, and uh, I want to hear my favorite song. Um, although a couple of topics I have discussed have been because people have said, I, I really want to hear a sermon preached about this topic. Um, but what I've been doing is covering topics that are the ones that are discussed over and over and over among you and among me, and that as I um, have sat in you know, my office as a lead pastor for 24 years, are the repetitive things that come in over and over. And, and see, when sometimes when you come in and you talk to me or you talk to a pastor, you think you're the only person who's ever come and had this issue or this problem. And here's what I found out. There's maybe about five that are over and over and over. Maybe about a dozen that are pretty much cover the gamut. That Because we all live pretty similar lives. We have children. We have spouses. We work jobs. We have bodies that are healthy or sick. you know, And we have neighbors. We all have kind of the same issues that we deal with. And so a lot of the things that you deal with are things that other people deal with. And sometimes, though, you think you're all alone. It's why I love connect groups, because we do life together. As we do life together, we find out that when we share, when we're honest and we be comfortable with people and we share our lives with them and our needs with them, they go, oh, man, I went through the exact same valley. My wife and I had that same situation, or we had that with our kid. And so I find it's the same, same repetitive thing. So I've been trying to do a series this summer just talking on, on the things that are repetitive that I see a lot. And today, we're going to look at one that I'm going to be honest with you, I wanted to avoid. I've only preached on this topic once since I've been here, so four and a half years. Um, but I wanted to avoid, but I couldn't. I just felt like the Spirit of the Lord kept saying, I want you to deal with this topic. And, um, and I really, this, it, it fits perfectly here because it's something I end up dealing with all the time, over and over and over again. And honestly, the topic we're going to talk about today, I'm generally dealing with because it's caused a problem um, or it's a crisis. And so the topic I want to talk about today is Christians and alcohol. Now, some of you are going to get up and walk out right now, right? <laughs> Challenge you. You can get up and walk out, but, uh, but uh, I don't want you to. Because I want to, just what I want to challenge you to do today. I want you to challenge you to open up your heart and just say, God, what do you really have to say about this topic? Um, and allow the scriptures and allow life experience to speak to us today. And you, can, you guys know me. I'm not some kind of ranting and raving lunatic who stands on a soapbox and, you know, and condemns and says, this is how things ought to be. Um, but I just know that God has a life better for us than the world offers to us. And in this one topic, or a lot of topics, but this one topic, I think a lot of times we choose second, second best. And I want us to have first best. Now, some of you might be saying this right now. I'm going to turn off my brain. Because I know, kind of, you know, Pastor Mark, I know your view on this. I've talked to you about it. And I know, and you know what, I agree with it. And so what you're going to do is you're going to shut your brain off. You're going to grab your, your, um, your smartphone or your pad, iPod, iPad, and you're going to go, I'm pretending I'm looking at Scripture, but I'm really playing um, Angry Birds, you know. <laughs> but here's why I want to challenge you not to do that. Here's what I see as one of the biggest mistakes we make as Christians. The world wants to know. People, when I say the world, I mean people who just don't know Jesus. The Bible is very clear. There's two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. And, and to, you come out of the, you're born in the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of darkness it's called, and when you come to Christ, he becomes your savior, you enter the kingdom of God. 
And, you know, when we come into that kingdom, we live then according to God's plan. And he tells us his plan through his word. And, and uh, so what happens a lot of times is we, we begin to, as we come into the kingdom, we, we act different, we think different, we live different. And people around us, starting primarily with our children, they ask this one word that we don't like a lot of times. It's the word, it's got three letters. Why? Why? Why do you do that? And here's the mistake we make. Because. Or we say this, oh, the Bible says so. Well, that's not the answer we give. If you give that answer, especially as a parent, you give that answer, I guarantee you your kids will grow up not believing what you believe. I'm just telling you it's the truth. Your friends won't believe what you say because you can't give a good answer. So the reason I want you to pay attention today, even if you agree with what we're going to talk about today, and some of you will disagree, and I won't love you any less if you disagree, um, that I want you to be able to give, the Bible talks about being able to explain, to give a reason for what you believe. To be ready in season and out of season to give a reason for what you believe because people want to know. And here's the thing about Christianity. Christianity is strong. It stands on its own two feet. You never have to be afraid that Christianity can't be, can't def- that Jesus can't defend himself. We're not in the job of having to defend, him, defend God. And what you see is if you understand what God says, his ways are always best. And if we allow us to, to uh, we just explain why God does and says what he does, people go, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And so some of you, what I'm going to hopefully give you today is just an understanding, some information on why this is a, what I think is to be a good, a good position on, on this topic. And the reason I think that we have to say it would be included in a bipopular demand series is if we're honest, this is a really big topic in our area. You guys might not notice that, but you live in Wisconsin. I was born and raised in Wisconsin. I was born and raised in Cedarburg. Lived in West Bend, then moved all over the country and all over the world. Um, so I've lived all kinds of places, but these are my roots. I spent most of my life in Ozaki County or Washington County. Most of my life. And we have a reputation. We might have a reputation as cheeseheads. We have a reputation as we talk funny. Everywhere I've lived, they always ask me if I'm from Canada. You know, are you from Canada? No, I'm from Wisconsin, pretty close. Um, but the reputation we have is that, that we're drinkers, that we're big drinkers. I read, a, I read a study on this trying to figure out why is that true, and, and the experts say this, because 40% of us have a significant amount of German in our heritage. Anybody part German? I'm half German. We're way more than 40, <laughs> okay? Most of us have some German. And they attribute, you know, most of the breweries are German-based. And we think of, you know, when you go to Oktoberfest, you could rename it Drunk Fest, you know, because I've been born and raised going to Oktoberfest. And, um, and so we're Wisconsinites. We've got a lot of Germans. We drink a lot of beer and a lot of other stuff. Um, but that reputation, that reputation is real, and it's, and it's earned. We've earned that reputation. Um, but there's some realities associated with that reputation. Here's just some of the realities. You can go on, online and just Google this, and you'll get all as many stats as you can stomach. But here's just a little bit of it. In Wisconsin... We have the highest binge drinking rate in America. Um, that's why young college students always seem to fall off bridges into rivers in Wisconsin. How many times a year can we have the same story? It's like, don't drink, you know, three gallons of beer and then walk across the Wisconsin River when you're going to college there, you know, or downtown Milwaukee. You know, don't drink excessively, leaving a nightclub in the third ward and then fall in a river and your family has to search for you for six months. And we have the stories. It's, it's constant. We have the stories. 
So we have the highest binge drinking rate in America. We have the highest per capita alcohol consumption in America. Our high school youth have almost, we're not exactly at the peak here, but right at the top, the highest alcohol use in the nation. And get this, drinking and binge drinking among women of childbearing age, which we know the, de- the difficulties associated with that, you know, fetal alcohol syndrome, is among the highest in the nation, right at the top. And we have the highest drunk driving rates in the nation. So in Wisconsin, this topic is by popular demand. That makes sense? That's why I couldn't avoid the topic. And so I'm going to approach the topic this way. I simply want to explain why I choose not to drink anymore, which then says I used to drink a lot. I did. I drank for years. And um, I drank before I was a believer. Then I came to Christ, and I went from drinking excessively to drinking moderately. And then I had a point in time in my life where I chose to not drink anymore. Now, I understand that some of you will disagree with my conclusions in this sermon, and and I'm not condemning that, but I really believe that when we look at this, the whole of the Bible, which we're going to try to do today, we're not going to read the whole Bible, but kind of on this topic, that that, that my conclusion is a solid conclusion, and that one, one that makes life the best. And that's what I want for you. I want your life to be the best. I want your life to be lived to the fullest. I want my life and my kids' life to be the best and to be lived to the the fullest. And so I want to start with one verse, and we're going to look at a couple different things in the Bible today, but I want to start with one verse that's real familiar maybe, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And we're looking at something that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. You get that now? Some of you are new to Christ that when it says Ephesians, it's because there's a group of people who lived in a town called Ephesus. And like in this situation, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to them. And in that letter, by the way, this brings up something. This is over 2,000 years ago he wrote this. Obviously, um, this isn't a new topic to us, right? Not a new topic to us. 2,000 years ago, Paul's addressing the topic we're going to talk about today. And so it's pretty, pretty human. And the Apostle Paul says this, 518 Ephesians. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you say, what's that mean? Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Dissipation simply means to indulge in a pleasure to the point of harming oneself. So do not get drunk with wine to, the, to, the, to indulge in this pleasure to the point of harming yourself, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he gives two sides. He says, don't get drunk because it will harm you, but get filled with God's Spirit because that will bless you. And so a lot of times the church makes this mistake of saying, they'll talk about, don't do this. But you don't understand, when God says don't do that, it's always because he's got something better for you. He's saying don't do this, instead do that. So he's saying don't get drunk with wine, instead be filled with my spirit because it's so much better. And we're going to talk about that. So the Apostle Paul says something very clearly here. It's why I started with this. It doesn't take any interpretation. He says this, do not get drunk. So he's talking about excessive drinking. Do not drink excessively. Do not drink to the point of dissipation, to drinking excessively to the point of impairing your judgment, impairing your function, which leads to harm, right? And we, as a group, we would agree with that. We'd say, do not get drunk. This teaching that drunkenness is wrong, um, I think most of us would agree with. I think our culture agrees with. Um, That's why we have drunk driving laws. Um, But you'll see it's just completely found from, from, from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1 says it like this. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, 
and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. It's a wisdom issue. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. Whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Anybody ever, when you drink, get beer muscles? I used to get beer muscles. I always thought I was so tough when I drink. I always got in fights, you know. You know, look at me. I'm not that tough, <laughs> you know. I'm not that big. Um, and so uh, um, it was a mocker. <laughs> it was a mockery, you know, getting beer muscles. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. And whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. So it's a wisdom issue. Turning your Bible to another proverb, Proverb chapter 23. A little longer section about it, but I think it's such a great description that I want to read it and to show you that it's not just a few isolated places the Bible talks like this. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 29, starting there, it says this. And this is, just, this is a description of a person who tends to drink too much too often. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long over wine, those who go to... to Go to taste mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent. It stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your mind will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea or one who lies down on the top of a mast. In other words, you'll pass out in stupid places. They struck me, but I did not become ill. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I awake? I will seek another drink. So... Pretty common. That was most Wisconsin college students' existence right there. Right? One more section. Turn to the book of Galatians. New Testament. Galatians chapter 5. If you know your Bible at all, you're familiar with this section because it talks about the life lived by the Spirit and the life lived by the flesh. So God's kingdom or the worldly kingdom. And there's a whole description, all chapter 5, but I just want to point out starting in verse 19, Galatians 5 starting in 19, talking about the life not lived in the kingdom principles, but lived in the fleshly, worldly principles. It says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so the writer, you know, book Paul to Galatians is, is pretty, calm, pretty strong there saying, listen, this isn't kingdom thinking. This isn't kingdom activity. You're not going to, he said, a life of drunkenness is not a life that's, that, that's uh, consistent with the life of a believer, somebody on the way to eternity with Christ. So here's the question I have for you today. And here's something I always told my kids. And it's a mistake that Christians make. They say, Why? Why don't we drink? Why don't, we, why, don't you, why don't you use drugs, Dad? And the first thing that Christians mistakenly say this is because it's no fun. It's bad for you. I always tell my kids, getting drunk's a ton of fun. It is. It just has huge consequences. You know, beer muscles, getting in a fight, getting punched in the mouth, it's no fun. But it's fun. Smoking, smoking you know, dope is fun. Um, it just has consequences. You know, I've never used hard drugs, but I'm sure shooting heroin is fun for a moment, but it destroys your life in the end. And so why would God, by his word, say, if we could say it's fun, well, it's momentarily only fun, and the consequences are so much worse. It's a false fun. Why does scripture, you know, very clearly teach us in all these verses that we just read that drinking, getting drunk, rather, 
is wrong. I'm going to tell you a couple of reasons why. Number one is this, and these are basically reasons from the word, but reasons from my life, reasons from your lives also. Number one is this, drunkenness destroys families. And remember, God loves families. God's the one that family was the, he's the one who came up with the idea, right? He loves families and he wants to protect them and he wants the best for them. But drunkenness destroys families. There are families in this room probably today who have seen their families destroyed by effects of excessive drinking. I've got a sibling who is a full-blown alcoholic and has been for 40-plus years. Destroys that. Doesn't show up at any family events um, because you can't go for 15 minutes without a drink. Destroys what God wants for your family. Divorce, abuse, poverty have direct connections to excessive drinking. You know, there's a prayer request. You guys know we write prayer requests down here. You write them on your little slips. You put, turn them in. We pray for them as a church all the time. We pray for them as a staff. There's one particular prayer request that I keep on my desk all the time. It's right underneath my computer. The edge of it sticks out. It's there right now. And it says this because it, it reminds me of this topic. Not that I need to be reminded, but it reminds me of the hurting, hurt, hurt, hurting of people in their lives who, who sit in these pews on Sunday morning. It was an anonymous prayer request, but it's very common. I have this same topic all the time in prayer requests. And this is exactly what it says. It came in these exact words. I miss my daddy. He is drinking. I miss him so much. That was anonymous, but in my heart I kind of just think it's a little girl. I'm not sure who the little girl is. I miss my daddy. He is drinking. I miss him so much. Friends, that's representative of a very consistent type of prayer request that we get here at Portview all the time, and it's really sad. And I've watched it, and you've watched it. Excessive drinking um, destroys families. That's the one reason. The second reason that I think the Bible talks about not getting drunk is this, and it's a step further. Drunkenness kills. Not only because it destroys the drinker's body, which we know, you know, Suzanne's now a, a nurse and sees people, and, and she told me, she said, after being a nurse, there's two things I would never do. She said, not even Christian. She said, just physically. She said, I would never drink and I would never smoke. She says, everybody I deal with, that's huge parts of their life. Physical problems because of excessive drinking, physical problems because of excessive smoking. And she says, I watch the ravages in their body, and I go, look what you're doing to yourself. So it destroys the drinker's body, but it also destroys other people's lives, kills other people in a, in a very common way we're used to by, in all other ways, but, but through driving and drinking and driving. I maybe told you about a girl named Pam. When I was a senior in high school, she sat right there next to me in chemistry, I think inorganic chemistry. And um, we went to a lot of parties together, did a lot of stuff together. But one Friday night, I was driving. I, went, I graduated from Kewaskum, and we were driving from the Kewaskum High School up to St. Killian because St. Killian would, would serve us. We were minors, and they would serve us. So we could go in the bars, in the bar, and they would, we had bands, and they would serve us. They didn't cart us, and we could go drinking because back then the drinking age was 18, and we'd go out drinking. So me and some buddies are up at, up at, Saint, at the bar in St. Killian's and we're drinking. And uh, Pam and another Pam um, and uh, three other people are in the car, in their car, and they're rushing up to meet us because you've got to hurry up to get to the bar. You know, bar might go away. And, uh, and there's not enough bars in Wisconsin. And uh, they're rushing up there, missed the corner, hit the gravel, flew off the road, hit a telephone pole sideways, wrapped the car around the, side, the telephone pole, and Pam, who sits right next to me in chemistry, is not there anymore on Monday morning because she's in a coffin. And the other Pam, who was in the seat, um, three days later died because she had busted her legs so bad, they basically take her legs right off, and bone marrow went to her heart and stopped her heart about three days later. Um, the driver who did it was so distraught in the hospital, he took a scissors and stabbed himself in the heart trying to kill himself. 
because he was drunk when he was driving and did that. And so I learned early on that excessive drinking kills because my lab partner was dead. And that's, you know, and that's not unusual. There's not a year that goes by that we don't have that exact story played over and over and over here. And here's the deal. God loves families. And excessive drinking kills. About two years ago, I did a funeral for, for a friend of mine's dad. And I knew the dad and I knew the friend. I, as a matter of fact, led the friend to Jesus and led his girlfriend to Jesus who became his wife. And they became the pillars of a church we planted in Michigan. We were there for 10 years, and this guy was the first convert of the church. His girlfriend became his wife, was the second convert of the church. And they became just rock-solid solid pillars who helped build this great church. And um, his dad had been struggling with alcoholism for years, and I'd gone through detox with him, I can't tell you how many times, dozens of times through detox. And dr- drunkenness had lost his marriage. Had, you know, his wife had left him. His kids had, did, you know, didn't have relationships with him very much. And, but... I spent time with him and his son loved him and we roofed his house and did everything we could to win him to Jesus. And one day he went to his, to his family and they didn't really know what was going on, but he went individually to all the family and he just said, you guys, and they all thought it was kind of weird. You know, I love you. No, I love you. And they didn't know it that he did it all the same day. And that day he went and he bought a, a, literally a box full of, of alcohol booze of hard, of hard liquor. And he sat in his house and he drank it until he died. He drank and drank and drank and drank and drank. And the coroner said he just looked at the mess. I could tell he would vomit it up and keep drinking until his heart finally just died, just stopped. He said he said goodbye to everybody and he killed himself. So here's what I know from my life. You say, man, you're a, you're a downer today, Pastor Mark. Not at all. I'm just being real because I want us to see the reality. Because sometimes we don't see the reality. We live in this false view that that's really best. And God's offering something greater over here, and we don't get this because we exchange, exchange it for that. So drunkenness kills, but there's one more thing I want to talk about, a reason why I think drunkenness is wrong. It's this, because drunkenness leads to immorality and to heartache. Now, you guys have had the same conversations as me, but I probably get them a little more because when people are going through difficult times, they come and talk to their pastor. When talking to people about why they did things that they regret... Um, this is what I often hear. Well, I was drunk and I, and you can fill in the blank. I was drunk and I was pregnant. I was drunk and I, I got AIDS. I was drunk and I stole a car. I was drunk and I punched my wife. I was drunk and whatever. And here's just what I know about drunkenness. People lose restraint when they drink and they do things drunk that they would never do sober. And I can guarantee you it's true because I used to dance when I was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> White men can't jump, and this boy shouldn't dance. And uh, it was ugly. You ever see the Seinfeld episode of Elaine? You know, that's kind of me. Um, and so you lose restraint um, when you get drunk. I want you to remember, church, God loves us. And he loves you so much that he hates what hurts you, and that's why he forbids drunkenness, okay? So I, I think it's a pretty clear case. Pretty easy to see that point from life and from scripture, right? But I think we need to take a step further and ask the next question. Because here's the next one that really hits in the church world. Um, and it's this question. Does the Bible teach, and I want you to hang on with me until I'm done with this, okay? Hang on the next 15 minutes. Because some of you are going to gasp when I say what I'm going to say right now. Does the Bible teach that it's always wrong to drink any alcohol? I'm not saying that I'm saying to drink but not get drunk. Does the Bible say that's always wrong? The answer is no. 
It doesn't teach that at all. Matter of fact, in the book of 1 Timothy, it says in many places, but in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 5, verse 23, it says, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, his protege, his young protege, says, it's okay to use alcohol for medicinal purposes. He says this to Timothy, just kind of in a string of saying other things, he's saying, Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach problems. So he's saying, it's okay, you could use alcohol for medicinal purposes, and so I guess it's okay to put it in NyQuil. Um, but here's the honest question I have for you today. Do people really do use alcohol for that purpose anymore? Not really. They really don't. Probably not. Because, you know what, Pepsid AC and Pepto-Bismol really do a better job. And that was written, Paul to Timothy, over 2,000 years ago. And we've made some advances in 2,000 years. And the first century might not have, really didn't have any other options. We have other options. And so, yeah, I can see where Scripture does say it's okay to use alcohol for medicinal purposes. And if it was used for a medicinal purpose, I guess that you can look at that and say that's fine. Um, and so the scripture said that, you know, in, in addition to medicinal purposes, though, the scripture says um, something else about drinking. It really teaches this very clearly. The scripture teaches moderation in drinking. Ephesians 5 says this, do not get drunk. It does not say do not drink. Remember, hold on with me here. It does not, It because it, I'm talking about how come I choose not to drink at all. It does not say not to drink. In the qualifications for overseers and deacons, um, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says these men must, quote, not be addicted or given to much wine. So not be addicted to it or given to much of it. It doesn't say they couldn't have a drink, correct? Right? Now, can we therefore conclude that it's okay for us today to drink just a little? After all, the deacons of the first century were told just not to drink excessively. And Paul told Timothy, use wine for your stomach. So is it okay to say we can drink a little? And here's my, my opinion. I think my opinion, the Apostle Paul says at times like this. Here's my opinion on a topic, and I believe it's of God. Here's my opinion. I don't believe it's right for us today. And I'm not talking about this as a law. And I'm not talking about this as a salvation issue. Not about going to heaven, not going to heaven. I'm talking about this as a wisdom issue. And here's my best answer for why I've come to the conclusion after 50 years that I've come to, and I've come to it a number of years ago, but why I've come to this while trying to be honest with all of the scriptures. And the first, there's two reasons. First reason is this. If we lived in the first century when the New Testament was written, it would be okay, I believe, to drink moderately. But we don't live in the first century place in the world where conditions, where conditions are similar to that of the first century. And there's some differences between then and now. And the differences are, are kind of twofold. It's technology and choices. You see, we have choices today that the people in the first century never had. Often they had no other choices but to drink stuff that had alcoholic content. You see, in the first century, um, they gathered grapes when they were ripe, and then they made and the juice, what did it do when it stored in a wineskin? It fermented and it gained an alcohol content, and that's what they had to drink. They didn't have Pepsi or Coke. They didn't have anything else. Um, and this is where technology comes in. We all have something in our kitchens that they never dreamed of in all their wild imaginations. It's a refrigerator. They never dreamed of it. We lived in Cambodia as missionaries. We were little kids who lived out in the, in the um, rice paddies in the, all the villages. And if you'd come, it was a common thing for, for people who were missionaries, we'd come in a car and we have air conditioning. 
And the kids would come into the cars and they'd never experienced cold in their life. They had never felt cold because they live in Cambodia right by the equator and their air conditioning would be blowing and they couldn't figure out what cold was. They lived without electricity, without anything like that and, and never seen cold. You know, and so these guys back then never imagined if something in your house called a refrigerator. See, you and I can refrigerate anything. We can refrigerate juice and keep it from fermenting so that we have a choice to drink something with alcohol or choice to drink something without alcohol. But in Paul's day, such technology didn't exist. So the teaching was to be moderate. And it was basically went like this. Since you must drink something with alcohol in it, therefore do it in moderation. So if you're a deacon, you're an elder in a church, since you must drink that stuff, because that's what we drink, and it has turned in, it's fermented as alcohol, therefore make sure you only drink a little bit. But we have choices that they didn't have. So applying biblical principles in our day and age really removes the necessity to teach moderation because we can easily choose to not drink at all if we want to. Does that make sense? No. I didn't expect amens. No. There's another reason why I believe the scriptural truth for us pertaining to drinking is for us to, to choose to not drink. Um, and this is my main reason why I choose to not drink. Let's look at one more section of scripture. Go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read a kind of lengthy section, but 13, um, 13 verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 through 13. It says... Now, understand, he's going to be talking, you're going to say, he doesn't say anything about drinking in there. He's talking about a principle here. And I'll explain that when we're done. It says, now concerning things sacrificed to idols. And understand what he's talking about. Back in their day, they really erected, they carved and erected real idols, and they put them up, and they believed those idols had spiritual power. And so it was that the, the pattern of the day, with the, the normal way they lived, is that they would... Um, erect idols, and then they would take the animals they're going to eat and they would sacrifice them to the idol, believing that there was some kind of spiritual blessing on the meat because, they sac- because it was sacrificed to an idol. It was the common cultural thing that went on. Um, and Christianity came and said that, that's, that we shouldn't do that. There's no other God, that that's not a real God, that God's the only God. And so it says this in, verse, in chapter 8 now. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, um, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords... Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things um, and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we exist through him. However, not all men have this knowledge. But some being accustomed to the idol until now, they're used to their culture, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. In other words, they're immature and it messes with them. Verse 8, but food will not condemn us to God, um, commend us to God, but we are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, 
be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols. In other words, you'll give them a, you'll give them a reason to eat something sacrificed to an idol. Verse 11. For through, through your knowledge, he is he who is weak is ruined, the brother for who, whom say Christ died. And so, by sinning against the brethren, the wounding their conscience when he is weak, you sin against God, against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Now, you understand what Paul's talking about here. Again, he's not talking about drinking. But he's talking about a particular application here of a principle. Talking about food sacrifice to idols. But the broader spiritual principle is saying this. Getting people to refrain from actions that although they may be allowable, because you're mature enough to understand, they are not necessarily the best or good to participate in, especially if when you're participating in that activity, it causes a weaker person or a less mature person to stumble on their spiritual walk. You understand that's what he's saying. Look at verse 13 to summarize it. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, the food sacrifice to an idol, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. And see, in, in applying it to the idea of alcohol, in the case of drinking alcohol, the idea is that if my freedom to drink in moderation causes someone else to stumble, he says that I sin by acting selfishly and not acting in love towards another person. And see, so understand something, church. Our actions affect people around us. Somebody's watching everything we do. Your kids, your relatives, your neighbors. And if I drink in moderation, I may be setting someone else up to drink who may not be able to handle it. They may become enslaved to alcohol. And every year we bring in a group of people, Teen Challenge, who all seen Teen Challenge? What almost every person who comes in Teen Challenge, the beginning of their addiction, addictive lifestyle, started with drinking alcohol. And I, I'll guarantee you almost 100% of them started and got excessive in it, and their parents maybe did it just in moderation. Some did it excessively, but a lot just did it in moderation. But the world says this. Remember this kingdom that's not of God's kingdom. This, the world says this. It says, oh, well, that's their fault. Big deal. It's not my concern. But the Apostle Paul says that's not true. And God says that's not true. He's saying right here, if your actions cause another person to stumble, then as a child of God, motivated by love, you should choose to refrain from those actions even though you have a right to do them, not for your sake, but for the other person's sake. For their good, you choose to give up your rights. And this exact principle was made really real to me a number of years ago, probably 20 years ago now, um, I'd come to Christ, raised in the denominational church, but didn't know Jesus, heard the gospel, got saved, began attending church, was aggressive in my faith, and still drank. I went from drinking excessively to drinking in moderation. And this is what I'd say. And I'm a pretty, I'm a, I'm a guy that's got, things got to make sense. If the word of God says it and I make it makes sense, I will follow it to, to the ends of the earth. And I would say to people in the church all the time, this is why I gave the warning in the beginning, don't say, because the Bible says so. Because I didn't, no one gave me a good answer. And I used to say this all the time. If the Bible shows me that I shouldn't drink, I'll stop drinking tomorrow. But I looked at the Word and I said, the Bible shows me I can drink in moderation, and that's what I'm doing. I'm obeying the, by the, by, I'm obeying the Scriptures. And so I kept on drinking. 
And I would always say, I'll stop drinking when somebody can show me the scriptures should say otherwise. Well, one Friday night, I remember like it's yesterday, Friday night, um, for some reason I was at my parents' house. I wasn't living at home. I was living at my parents' house. And my brother was there. I have a brother that's 11 months younger than me. And he was, he was a wild child. Um, he was always in trouble, always whooping it up, always getting in trouble, always drinking, using drugs, getting arrested, doing all stuff. He, was, he, he just whooped it up a lot, a lot more than me. And it was a Friday night, and I'd come to Christ, and since I'd come to Christ, there was a real rift between us. Um, not that I would impose, but, it, you know, maybe I did. Maybe I was just foolish and, and uh, young and foolish in my faith. But anyways, um, I have a beer in my hand. I'm standing in my parents' house. It was a Miller Light. I can remember it. And um, I said to him, when he's walking out the door, I said, now listen, dummy, don't go get drunk tonight and crash your car and kill yourself or kill somebody else. It wasn't said in the, any love, really, but I guess deep down inside it probably was. I didn't want my brother to get hurt. And I said, don't get drunk and kill yourself or kill somebody else tonight. And I'm standing with a beer. And as clearly as I've ever heard the voice of God, matter of fact, in those few times in my life where I could say, I, I heard what seemed to me to be an audible voice of God, although he couldn't hear it, so it wasn't audible, but I felt that I knew it was God speaking to me. He said, if you can have one, why can't he have ten? And he said, you are causing your brother to stumble. He is justified in his actions in doing what he does because you do what you do. And for the first time, this verse, 1 Corinthians, made sense to me. I'd always thought it's about sacrificing to idols. I thought there's no idols anymore. But it wasn't. It's about a principle. The principle that says, I choose to give up my rights to bless somebody else. That if my actions will hurt somebody else spiritually, I don't want to do anything to hurt them spiritually. And so I choose to give up my rights. And so my brother walked, I remember he walked out the door down the steps and I went over to the sink and I poured out my can of beer in the sink and I never touched a drink after that because God had showed me from his word that it was the best position. Now listen, I do have the right as a Christian to drink in moderation, I do. But if I exercise my rights and that causes someone else to stumble, then I'm not acting in love. And love is the highest motivation for everything we do in the kingdom of God. So I choose to give up my right to be a blessing to somebody else because it's all about love. And when you think about that, friends, it just kind of sounds like God, doesn't it? Jesus gave up his place in heaven. Philippians talks about, called the great kenosis, where he gave away his godness in essence. He was always God, but gave away his rights as God. He emptied himself, it says, to come to earth, to, to stop living in all the glory that he had so he could live, live by human standards and suffer and die on the cross to pay for our sins. He gave up his rights because of love to bless other people. And that's the principle we're talking about here. And I want you to think about something, parents. How do you know? I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm just asking you to think. How do you know if your social drinking may not lead to alcoholism in your child? I don't know why one of my siblings has chosen, it's a choice, has chosen to be an alcoholic. But I do know that we were exposed to drinking our entire lives. And so one out of three is an alcoholic today. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if my drinking will do that. I am very, very, very glad that 
my boys growing up, 18 and 21, know that mom and dad don't drink. Because here's a principle that I want you to understand about parenting. It's, this is an age-old principle. What you do in moderation, your kids usually do in excess. If I do it a little bit, they will tend to do it a lot more. And so if I do it in moderation, my kids will tend to do it in excess. If they do it in excess, I may be quite capable. I am. I, well, I stopped drinking like that. I could quit drinking, but nothing. Every, I still tell, but I tell you, in all honesty, when it's hot out, when it's hot and I'm working, I still want a beer. I do every time it's hot. But I just choose not to do it because I want to, I want to be the best parent I can possibly be to my kids. I don't, want to give, I don't want to have them do something, me do something in moderation that will allow them the right freedom to do it in excess. And you say, well, that's their choice. Well, it is, but the Apostle Paul says, if we can do something to not cause somebody else to stumble, we should cho- choose to do that thing to help them out. And you know what? All of you who are teens and young adults in here, ask yourself the question, how do you know if you're drinking in moderation even though you're not supposed to legally do it, we know everybody does in our culture. How do you know if your drinking in moderation may not lead to your friends excessive drinking and you won't have to go through the pain of what I went through when your Pam doesn't show up for school on, Sunday mo- on Monday morning because they're in a coffin? You don't. So the best I can conclude, in a culture where alcoholism and alcohol abuse and use is rampant, and Christians do have very easy options not to drink, then in my mind it's just fitting that I should give up social drinking because it's best for Christians. And that's why I choose not to drink. Friends, understand again, I repeat it, it's not a salvation issue. It's a wisdom issue. The Bible says this, all things are allowable for believers. All things are allowable, but not all things are profitable. So I see abstaining as the best choice. And it, I needed to lay this whole foundation out today to, so, so you could say, here's why he believes. And again, you can disagree, but here's why Mark believes. But the, that's the, the hard thing about taking so long to do it is, I can't give the other side of the equation today other than a little blurb. And it's this. We've just looked at the negative side. But here's the reality. God has something so much better. Ephesians said to not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And friends, being filled with the Holy Spirit of God is so much better than any buzz, any a supposed fun and blessing you can get out of drinking. Because being filled with the Spirit of God leads to true joy, to true fun, and true power. I used to think I was having fun. We'd go get hammered. We'd run around, you know, whoop it up. I said, that was fun. But now I'm telling you that the fun I have now, the joy I have now, the power I have now spiritually is infinitely better than beer muscles. Way better. I wouldn't trade being filled with the Holy Spirit for drinking ever again. Um, And understand, they're not compatible. That's why Paul puts them together. Don't get drunk. Instead, be filled. You can't have them both. You see, God's way, friends, is always the best way. And I want the best for you, and I believe God wants the best for you. And that's why I think that this topic is a bi-popular demand topic. And all I want you to do with it is you, you take it to the Lord. You take it home. You mull it over. As couples, you talk about it. And you know what? 
and don't be afraid to invite me to your house now. Oh, no. Pastor Mark's going to walk in and see a bottle of wine. You know, I'm honestly not going to judge you for it. Not about me and you. It's about you and God and your life, and, and I'm not going to condemn you for it. I'm not looking at you. If I, if any, any negative, more negative, I just think it's the conclusion that lines up the best with the teaching of Scripture. It's the wisest decision. And it's not an easy decision. We live in a culture. Remember, we started off. We're Wisconsin. There's a lot of times it's tough. One half of my relatives, this is, this is 24 years ago, one half of my relatives did not show up for my wedding because we got married at church and didn't have any drinking. One half of my relatives did not come to my wedding because there was no, there was no drinking. And we were, just, we were just committed to it. And actually at that, yeah, I had stopped drinking by then, but especially Suzanne's side, it wasn't going to fly. And uh, so when all my relatives found out that it was at a church, got married at a church and the reception was at the church, <laughs> we ain't going to that wedding. We're Germans, man. We're going to dance the polka and drink till we're drunk. And uh, so they didn't show up for my wedding. And so uh, this is Wisconsin. I'm not saying it's always easy. I'm not saying it's always easy. And you know what's funny? You know what I've used? What, I, should, I don't even plan on saying this. You know what I use all the time? That was the last thing, and then we'll close. It's, it's really funny. I'm not making a joke out of anybody who's had an alcohol issue in their past. I'm honestly not. You know I'm sensitive to that. But when people offer me drinks, and, it, you know, and you're living this world, that happens all the time. I always say this. Oh, I haven't had a drink, and I'll tell them for this long, for, tw- for, uh, for 18 years. And they go, oh, 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 I understand. They always think you went through AA because I say how long it's been. I never say, and, and this is the mistake you, people make sometimes. You say, oh, I can't drink. Baloney, I can drink if I want to. I have the right to do it. I choose not to. So I always say, I don't drink. And I say, oh, I haven't drank for, for this many years. And they go, oh, oh, I get it, I get it. It's funny how they get it if you were, if it was destroying your life, they're great about the fact that you don't drink anymore. But if you, it hasn't destroyed your life to the point that you had to go through treatment, then they think you ought to drink with them. And so when even, I just, oh, yeah, you know what? I haven't drank for this long. Oh, yeah, 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 it's great, great. Yeah, I, I support you in that. <laughs> great. I'm glad you support me in that. Um, and it's just funny. Try it sometime. It's really funny. Uh, let's see what happens. Especially if you do it, it's only been like a couple months. They'll be like, oh, man, you've been sober. <laughs> you've been sober for eight weeks now, you know. And so anyways, I digress. You know, maybe today as we close, maybe addiction, I'm making a joke here, but maybe alcohol addiction is something in your life. It needs to be broken. I believe God overcomes that like that. He can. I'm not saying treatment's not necessary. I'm not saying things like Teen Challenge aren't necessary. But God can do it one of two ways. He can just break it today and then help you process it. Or sometimes he lets you go to, to treatment and that gets you through it. But I'm telling you this, God can break it today. And if you say, Pastor Mark, I need to get past this today, um, I'll be up here at the end. You come up here, we'll pray together about it. And I believe by God, by his spirit, greater is he who is in you than he was in the world. God, by his spirit, can set you free in a heartbeat. You know, and then give you the strength to walk it out. Um, you know, and, and so I'll pray with you about that today. And maybe also, though, you're here today, and it's not an alcohol issue, but you say in your heart, you know what? Um, I've been living my way forever. You're talking about these two kingdoms, kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world, and I'm absolutely convinced I live in the kingdom of the world. And you say, I want to be in the kingdom of God. I want to follow Jesus. I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. You can give your life to him today. You can be free from your past, and you can begin to live real life in Jesus. And I'm going to encourage you to do this. If that's you today, 
Um, I'm just encouraging you to come. I'm just going to hang around up front today. You just come and talk to me, and I'll talk to you about it, and we'll pray about it together. All right? Suzanne, if you'd come, let's pray together in closing. Father, I thank you so much that you're a good and great and beautiful God. That, God, you have a plan for our lives that is greater than any plan that the world could ever concoct. And that, Lord, you desire to bless us. And, God, I know this topic today was not what most people have said, oh, I want to go hear about this today. But, Lord, I pray this. I pray, it's kind of like taking some medicine, that, Lord, as we have dealt with a, a serious topic today, that as we adjust our lives in however that would be, that, Lord, our families would be better, our kids would grow up stronger, our neighbors would be reached, and, God, that your kingdom would expand. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you that your word gives us wisdom and that, Lord, if we follow your way, we don't have to be just left wrestling with our way. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you'd bless your church. That, Lord, today, you would carry us along. You would lead us in the right paths for your namesake. I pray you'd bless every person in this place now. In Jesus' name, amen.